there were still themes in this film that wouldn't be popular anymore today. Like, it was talking about atonement and... Hey, this is Unrefined Podcast. I'm Brandon Spain, your host, with co-host Lindsay Waters. Welcome to another episode. Hey, you guys. It's us again, and we're here with a very special guest to do another episode of our EPA show, We're Watching You. And we have with us the lovely Vicki Joy Anderson, and we're going to dive into the movie Flatliners. So we're really looking forward to this. I'm kind of excited about so much stuff here. So Flatliners was, I think, uh, was it 1990? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. So it came out in 1990, and uh, it has a, a very star-studded cast in it of the brat, a lot of the Brat Pack, and it has Kiefer Sutherland in it again, who... We've done actually what two shows with him in it? Yeah, yeah um, this, is three. this is the third one. We don't we don't intend to do that. It's not planned, but it kind of ends up that way. So um, it has uh, Kevin Bacon, but doesn't every movie, and Julia Roberts and Oliver Platt and William Baldwin. We're just gonna dive in, and I'm gonna let Vicky get us started, and we're gonna talk about the different stuff through the movie that just kind of jumps out, dealing with all the different stuff that's in it all kinds of neat symbolism and everything so yeah you know this this was a total shot in the dark for me guys when you said like hey pick a movie and i only saw this movie one time back when it came out and have very little memory even of of what happened but i just thought well uh death and near-death experiences Mm. that's just great fodder for uh having like presuppositional analysis so i thought there's got to be something good in there but I had a little bit of a Mandela effect here, guys, because I have a very distinct memory of watching this movie, renting this movie on VHS, watching it with my brother. And I know in my mind the house we were in, the living room we were in, where we were. So when I when I looked the movie up and it said 1990, I was like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> in, 19, in 1990, dude, I was living in a totally different house. My brother had moved away. Like, there's no – so it must have been another movie. I don't know. But I, I had a little bit of an existential crisis when I found out it came out in 90. That threw me off. But Yeah, that's that's really – crazy I, I don't think i saw it in 90 i think i saw it a few years later like in 92 or something after it already come out on yeah, video t- here video i was tape. like nine or ten probably <laughs> yeah oh man i got oh, it man. from blockbuster <laughs> blockbuster that's right that's right yeah 10 yep. 10 10 forms of id to get your stupid 99 cent video home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, there's man. actually uh Lindsay and i both watched there's a documentary on netflix it's it talks it's called the last blockbuster and it's a fascinating Ooh. documentary about the last blockbuster that's in the United yeah. States and I think it's still open. It's the only wow. one. It, wow. Wow. It's in Oregon. Yeah, it's somewhere in Oregon. I can't remember exactly, but it's yeah, it's the last one. Yeah, it's that's really crazy. hilarious. And, yeah, there's this one even, guy in there that's 
it's a uh, one dude in there that's a dopehead, and you're like wondering why he's even in there the whole time. <laughs> we don't know if he's a comedian <laughs> or, or who he is, but he says some of the craziest things, and we're like, me and Nathan were like, why is this guy in this show anyway? So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and do you guys remember when when Blockbuster went down because of Netflix? When you guys remember when Netflix first came out, you get three you get three DVDs in the mail. Yeah. And you'd have to keep yeah. like mailing them back. Like there was no streaming. So it's crazy how much that, that industry has changed, but yeah. So, um, I remember the Rat Pack. I know there's a lot of Rat Pack movies. I wasn't really into them, but I wound up seeing a lot of them because my friends wanted to see them or my brother would bring them home. But I was yeah. never, I don't know about you guys. I was never enamored with Julia Roberts or the Estevez no. or no. Kevin Bacon yeah. or I like even, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, like all those Molly Ring. I've to this day never seen any of them. Yeah. I was just very, well, like, couldn't care less. Yeah, I, I think I saw them, but I, I w- I'm like you, though. I wasn't very enamored with them. I think back then I was watching horror movies much to my Yeah, but, I, uh, I was too. I, I watched was too. a lot of them in the 2000s and really kind of, I don't know, I like the soundtrack to a lot of them. Yeah, they well, I do music. now. I do now. Yeah, and, I, and that's something about this movie we can start off with. It, I really like the background soundtrack. It was just so nostalgic, so 80s, and it had some good music, synth stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 I don't want to jump completely off the deep end right here up front, but one of the things that I found very nostalgic about it when I watched it, it was so refreshing that there were still themes in this film that wouldn't be popular anymore today. Like it was talking about atonement and guilt and regret and all these sort Mm -hmm. of character based emotions. So I couldn't resist. I had never, I did not realize there was a 2017. I, I, I wouldn't even call it a remake, but it's like a quasi remake. And so I thought, well, I'm really curious if they still use the word atonement in 2017 so I did watch the, the the remake, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. and yeah. they they did carry forward somewhat the concept of forgiveness. They did not use the word atonement, but it was more of a you've got to forgive yourself for for the things that you regret. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much making atonement with the actual people you want. There was a little bit of that in there. I'm not going to say it wasn't in there at all, but it was interesting to see from 1990 to 2017, how the the basic, like the theme, the theme of the 1990 version, I believe was atonement. And it it was still present to a small degree in the 17 version, but definitely the 17 version had more of a horror movie twist more of a like demonic thing. And this is going to haunt you until you forgive yourself kind of a thing. So it was a little bit different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. And and that's when the notes I put redemption, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, atonement, the Catholic aspect and reconciliation. And I mean, that word is all over my notes that I that I took. And it really surprised me because I remember this being a horror-esque movie. And I remember and I might have gotten it confused with uh, what was that uh, one with the little boy who saw dead people? Uh, oh, Six Sense. Six Sense. Yeah. Six Sense. Yeah. I remember a scene when her dad appeared and he had. He was sitting in a chair or something weird, and see, it might be my Mandela effect. Uh, <laughs> he was sitting in it with, with with the hole in him, and I knew he didn't blow his brains out. 
and that was what was weird, I, it, which is really strange for men, which I think significant. Men usually, I know this is really morbid, but I'm going to go here. I learned from a, one of my, my spiritual directors, who was also a policeman, said that men usually kill themselves in the head, whereas women will shoot themselves in the, in the, the, uh, the trunk area. Oh. And the reason is they don't want to have their head blown off for a funeral. It's it's really bizarre, but he said that's. I mean, it's very stereotypical, but it's. Uh, he says, wow. you know, nine out of ten times that's that's how it is. So I thought that was really interesting that that he had killed himself by shooting himself through the heart, uh, mm. which is interesting. Anyway, I don't know if that mm. means anything, but I remembered a scene where he was like really creepy looking, like a like one of the dead people in the sixth sense and I, it didn't show up. I, I just remember it huh. more of a horror movie. So when the redemption yeah. showed up at the end, which we'll get to, I guess it really surprised me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly was not expecting any sort of moralistic theme to run through it. I thought it was just going to all be science, like the glory of science. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. I was actually pleasantly surprised, but I think movies were allowed to get away with that content back in the 90s more so than today now yeah. people will now people will think that you're preaching out on my guess yeah yeah well if um go ahead if we can just kind of rewind all the way back to the very beginning uh, <laughs> um <laughs> but the, i don't know anything about art you guys i'm like not an artsy person you get me in an art museum and i'm just like it all just looks like paint on the wall i i i have no brain for that but yeah. be, i love because, art but because that there was so much of it in the opening credits i thought this stuff's got to mean something so i did do a little bit of research and that that uh, sculpture that they show at the very beginning is in Chicago. It's called the Fountain of Time, and it's a hundred mortals passing before Father Time. And then, mm. then they show Hermes, and the, Hermes is shown yeah, throughout yep. the, the whole thing. Mm. Yep, the head of Hermes, and so he is the protector of travelers, and he is also the one that can travel between the worlds, meaning yeah. Hades. The the Hades and the living. So yeah. obviously very symbolic, intentional symbolism there. Yeah, yeah I kind of always fixate on one thing when we do these. And Hermes, the Hermes head was the one that got me because I was thinking, what does Hermes have to do with this? He was the messenger of the gods. I knew that. He had the winged helmet. And I didn't realize he had that kind of, what's the term, psychopomp role mm -hmm. of guiding the dead. So that that made perfect sense. Yeah. And the more I yeah. read about him, it, the more he reminded me of someone else I fixated on for the crossroads when we did. And Legba. Legba has a lot of the same. Uh, um, the West African sort of trickster figure yep. has That's a lot of right. the same stuff. He's he's a messenger of the, the Yoruba and the, the Fawn gods. He's, uh, mm. you know, he's got that same kind of psychopomp role sometimes. And. He's a guardian of boundaries, gates, roads, things like that. Liminal, yes, which always liminal has to do with with uh, death. So yeah, I, the Hermes thing really, the, the, yeah, the Hermes thing really jumped out at me there. Yeah, well, let, let me ask, let me ask you this, Vicky. Did uh, the Father Time is that Kronos? Is that that's what uh, I was thinking? Is that I mean, in yeah. like Saturn? Yeah, yeah okay. Yep, yeah. Sat Saturn. Which you know, if you 
if you've read Derek Gilbert's book, we all know who Saturn yeah. is too. So yeah. 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 That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, since the opening shot is this, this depiction in sculpture of Saturn, because one thing I had written down and I wasn't going to say anything about it until because I thought, well, maybe it's not significant. But then I realized that it was carried over into the 2017 version as well. There's a lot of scenes, especially in the opening, where the architecture, the architecture has X's. And so there's a lot of wrought iron fencing and grating and buildings. And there's all these X's. And we know that X is the, you know, the symbol of, of Saturn. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, yeah. well, it's probably just the architecture. It's there. But I noticed then, even though the scenery in the 2017 version was completely different and they were in different locations, that that symbol of the X in all of the architecture was predominant in the 2017 version as well. So it makes me wonder if that was intentional. Yeah, it probably was. Well, yeah. the uh, the 2017 version, where was it uh was it supposed still supposed to be Loyola and Chicago and just shot different or is it a different place in the movie? I'm not 100% sure, but I didn't get the sense that it was Chicago. I thought, it, well, but it could have been. I don't know. Hmm. I'm yeah, just kind of seeing how quickly I can look that up. Yeah, there, there's some kind of, there's some sort of significance in Chicago. I don't, I don't know why it was Chicago versus it could have been anywhere else. And, and you know, of all the medical schools, why is it Loyola, a Catholic university? I mean, I know they have a good medical school. I looked that up, but it's not Harvard, you know, or Yale or, or one of the, one of the better best schools. Why, why was Loyola chosen? In my opinion, without going too deep yet is, it has to do with the the Catholic overtones throughout the whole movie. Um, particularly, I remember the character Rachel. I mean, there was there was Jesus and it was in her house. There was there was mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, pictures of saints, and there's a seems like there was a cross on the wall. Maybe it was a crucifix, I think. And so you could definitely tell that 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 she was raised Catholic, and she was the one that had the the primary interest in the of that believe that there's something in the beyond, you know, would, yeah, she was, yeah, which is, which is interesting, Vicki, because we interviewed a hospice nurse who has a lot of stories about near death experiences. And, and that's what I kind of saw Rachel, even though she was training to be a doctor, she was more in, looks like in the like hospice area a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, what I thought was really fascinating is she was kind of the Catholic, the religious character. And then Kevin Bacon was the atheist, right? So you had these yeah. this contrast. Okay. But when you look at the way their storylines unfolded after um they had both flatlined, the the um the Julia Roberts character, the second she wakes up from it and she goes into the bathroom to kind of recover, we we see the Nietzsche quote, God is dead. And you see her then blatantly struggling with her faith. And uh Death is not anything like, well, it's not this wonderful, beautiful place. So she struggles with the faith, but it's the atheist character who stumbles upon atonement as being the way out of this. And so I thought that that was interesting the way they, through the stereotypes of religious and a-religious people on their head that, you know, you think that the religious person has this stuff um, all figured out and they're the ones that are going to have have the wherewith to understand and interpret these experiences 
whereas it became a crisis of faith for her, whereas it gave faith to the atheist who understood that atonement was the way out of the predicament that they had dug themselves into. Which is really interesting because it, it, in my opinion, that reminds me of the kingdom being a, a, a kingdom of contrast. I call it a lot of times uh, with when I've discipled different people that, that like kingdom contradictions, you have to go low to go high. You, you have to be uh, poor to be rich. You have to be, you know, all the different contrasts of the kingdom of God. And, and, and so I, I kind of see that there, the atheist, the, yeah, like you said, the a-religious, uh, actually becomes the one that he actually redeems the rest of them because he's the one yeah. that shares the, the quote gospel unquote. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. The good news of forgiveness. So anyway. Yeah. I re- I really like that. I don't, I don't know. There might be Christians out there that are offended by that who might make it look like they're making religious people out to look ignorant and the atheists to look enlightened. But I actually yeah. really liked it because I liked the fact that at, at any point, the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit, as we would call it, at any point, it doesn't matter where you are or how long you went to church or what you know or don't know mm-hmm. about the Bible. At any point, you can have that aha moment and you can realize mm-hmm. that it all, the, 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 the answer to everything is atonement, not necessarily forgiving yourself or others only, but the, the forgiveness that we, that we need from the Messiah. So I, I love the fact that that came through someone who wasn't overly churched and had all the answers. Hey, all you awesome Unrefined fans out there. If you'd like to hear the rest of this awesome episode, then join our community by becoming a member at unrefinedpodcast.com. Thanks, guys.